You're listening to the Alliance Theatre Podcast, an exploration of theatre and the people who make it happen, hosted by John and Ariel. Hello, everyone. I'm John Carr. And I'm Arielle Tinter. And welcome to the Alliance Theatre Podcast. Welcome. We're so delighted to have you here because we have a special edition of today's episode. Yes, we have our Halloween edition where we're going to tell theatre horror stories. <laughs> yeah, so this time we're not going to be focusing on like a ghost and ghouls. We're going to be f- focusing on embarrassment and accidents. <laughs> and injuries. Yes, yes. Today you'll hear from a variety of our staff members who have had some interesting things happen on stage or while they were working at a theater or even as an audience member. Yeah, and it's one of the cool things about live theater, right? Because there's a there's a little bit of risk. Like, what if it goes wrong? What if someone forgets their line? There's this danger element. And you know what? Sometimes that danger element does not always work in your favor. It doesn't. It doesn't work in your favor. Or sometimes you just uh, create a memorable moment. And that's how a lot of these people are telling their stories. It's something that they remember from their past. Exactly. So buckle up and join us on this scary and embarrassing ride. And now we have Daviar Snipes, who is our group services manager. What's your theater horror story? Okay, so my theater horror story is that when I was a younger actor, I had a propensity and thus a history of being a sweater on stage. And now the reason I would sweat so much is because I was a young actor and I was I was all about bringing it at 150% and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would I would always get like overly amped for my performances and just there would just be an energy that I just couldn't shake. Uh so I would basically go on stage and 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 I would tend to just like within the first few minutes of being on stage like already I'm just like flooded <laughs> because I mean it, it's, it's not even like something I got worked up to. It's like once I came on it was already coming down. Yeah. So yeah. I was walking on stage patting my forehead uh before I've even said a line. So uh uh, so there's this great horror story that we were doing the show, The Marriage of Figaro, Beaumarchais' The Marriage of Figaro, the play version of the famous opera. And there was a scene between myself, the count, and the countess. And it was a scene where she was basically calling me a scoundrel for my cheating ways. And I was, I was, and my motivation in the scene was to win her back, was to get her back on mm-hmm. my side. So now, of course, this is royal court, so we're dressed up in the nines, the gowns and 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 the frocks and the wigs. So take my sweating and then add on all of these layers on top of it. So right. I was already flooding. <laughs> so in this scene, when I'm trying to win her back after she's called me out, I was you know there was a moment of acting moment where I get on my knees to try to confess my love to her. And in one performance, I thought, well. You know, I, I got into it. I'm like, I'm going to do something extra. So not only did I get on my knees, but I also hugged her around her waist mm-hmm. to just as I'm telling her, oh, my Rosine, I love you so much. And so as I do this, I after I'm done with this, I pull my face away and and I notice that there's just giant sweat imprint on her gorgeous red dress. <laughs> That was just literally left by my face right there on the left side of her abdomen. And so for a split second, I'm just like, Ugh. I, I, I am just horrified because I'm like, oh, my God, that looks horrendous. <laughs> and then the actress sees this 
pretty much the same time I do, probably because my eyes are bugging out as I'm looking at it. And she, and in full glory, and that's why I love her to this day, she's a dear friend, she sees this and decides, oh, I'm going to milk this for all it is. And proceeds to, for the rest of that scene, position her body so that her left side is facing the audience at every moment, and she's doing these grand hand gestures with her left hand so that every chance she gets, she is flashing my imprinted face sweat stain on her gorgeous <laughs> red dress for the rest of the scene. And I'm just, I'm just embarrassed. I'm just mortified. I'm just for the rest of the scene. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I've lost control of just like, like, like my motivations. Cause I'm just so like, and you can hear it in the audience. Like people are murmuring every time she does it because people are just noticing this giant face imprint sweat stain on her stomach. Yeah. And it's just, and, and we came off stage and I'm dying and she's just like, I got you forever for that. When, I was a young actor, and again, everything I did back then was trying to like, oh, I got to show, I got, mm-hmm. I got to put it on that I'm right. an actor. You know, now, you know, I, you know, as an older actor, I know how to kind of manage my energy a little bit better. But everything was at 110 back then, 110, 150 right. you know, back then. Before you even hit the stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. before I hit the stage, I was like, I'm ready. You yeah, know, I, I came on looking like I had already done two shows, like within <laughs> my first scene. You know. Okay, we have Donya Washington, the bold associate producer here, and I hear that you have a theater horror story involving vampires? I do indeed. It's about a production of Dracula, an apocryphal production. I don't know if this story is true or not true. Okay. It was told to me by somebody who swears that they knew somebody who worked for the theater, but I've told the story a whole bunch of times and never met anybody who could verify it, but I really hope somebody can verify it. It happened in Florida. Like, there are more people who live in Florida, like, you know, who do Florida theater, who are in yeah. Atlanta, that maybe somebody, maybe. All right, Floridians, I'm sending out my bat signal as I am from Florida, so. We need to know. We need to know, okay. Is the story true? Tell us the story, I'm excited. Okay, Once Upon a Time, which is how I begin because I'm not sure if it's real or not, so. Yes, okay. Once Upon a Time, there was a production of Dracula in Florida. In this production of Dracula, it was done in a theater that had a balcony level mm-hmm. and an orchestra level, right? And Dracula's first entrance, he's flying on a zip line from above the balcony onto stage. The doors, their doors on stage are supposed to open, controlled by crew members. He's supposed to fly through the doors. The doors close. Show begins, right? Mm-hmm. This okay. is the beginning of the show Dracula. Yep. So they, have, they open the show. It goes very well. Uh, they go out after opening, which is, you know, customary. They get a little drunk after opening, which is also customary. And they also have a matinee the next day, which Mm. unfortunately is fairly normal as well. Right. Uh, So, you know, everyone's feeling a little off, you know, because they're a little hungover, maybe. Dracula gets clipped in to, you know, for his first entrance. Not feeling so good, but the show must go on. Clips in. Starts flying over the audience, and all of a sudden, oh, 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 and he starts vomiting all over the <gasps> audience, like no. straight up all over the audience. Backstage, the crew are mesmerized by this. Maybe they're laughing. Maybe they're just like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. And they miss their cue to open the doors. So he's vomiting, flying over the audience, and comes onto stage and smashes into the doors and kind of slides down the doors. One of the doors creaks open, and a hand pats out, finds him, and drags him backstage. Door closes. And over the God mic, the stage manager says, and this concludes today's performance of Dracula. The end. Right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is a fantastic story. That's going to be hard to top. So we have Robert Heinzman. He is our education associate here at the Alliance. Okay. I am a very clumsy person. Um, and trouble seems to find me on stage. <laughs> It was in front of like a school matinee of 900 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was playing Dickon in Secret Garden. 
in Birmingham Children's Theater. Um, lovely place. Uh, and I had just finished my number, and I was like, I'm so cute and whimsical and in the garden and singing my song, and I finished. And as I'm walking off stage, they're transitioning into the mansion. Mm-hmm. And the flies come down, which is a fly system up top, so there's like the big portrait of Lily, and there's a staircase coming down and all this stuff, and I know mm-hmm. my track to get out of there at the right time. But the track started early, so Lily's portrait came right down onto my head in front of all 900 children. And it hit your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like right smack dab on top. So like it kind of crumpled me down. Yeah. Um, but like they they saved it. They, they stopped the portrait before mm-hmm. like it was crushing me, but... The kids saw it because it was like it was low light, but you could still see. So right. you, those 900 kids screaming for their lives because they just like met this really lovely garden sprite gentleman. And then now he's getting squashed by a portrait. Yeah. They were all worried for your your safety, uh-huh. essentially. Uh-huh. And when you have 900 kids screaming, there's no controlling that. So they were just losing their minds over it. Um, and I got a little injured, but it was totally fine. I still did the show. Um, did the incident report, went to the doctor and everything, but um, it was really funny to listen to all of them be so genuinely scared wow. for that character's life. And did they continue on with kind of their their concerns about your health? The entire time. So I would come back on stage and they'd be like, oh, like you could hear them gasping and wondering if I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I, they, did, they did not forget about it the entire show. But it, yeah, those kiddos were worried. It yeah. was, they loved Dick. They loved Dickens in the yeah, show. Yeah, I mean, Dickens <laughs> one of the best characters in Secret Garden. I agree. So I agree. yes, I'm so glad you're okay. Right, me yeah, too. <laughs> you, for everyone listening, Robert is in fine health. Mm-hmm. He's doing great. We all love him. And uh, we're so glad that you shared those stories with us. You're today. welcome. Just unfortunate. Yeah, you know, you know <laughs> it happens. Live theater. We have Jordan Hauser. She is the management assistant here at the Alliance. And so give us your theater horror story. So I actually didn't find out that this happened to me until years later. It was about two years since it happened that I found out about it, which I think is even worse. But I like where this is going. Yeah. So I was working a show with a lighting designer. I had worked a show with many times and the assistant was one of my friends. And so he was always really uncomfortable around me. And I asked her one day, does the guy not like me? Does the lighting designer not like me? And she said, oh, it's probably because he's seen you naked in hair. When I was in a production of hair in college, he was the lighting designer. And so I was like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, so many people saw me naked. And she was like, oh, you don't know. So she (laughs) told me that one day during our production of hair, um, the way that the scene worked, the nude scene worked, is the lights would go down and they would flash behind us once our clothes were off and then it would be a blackout we would walk off stage and then the uh, the lights for intermission would come up in the audience and so apparently one day during tech they assistant who was running the light board cued the intermission lights early and I was the only one still on stage naked as the day I was born and everybody in the theater so all my male professors all the students that I was in classes with all the designers saw me naked and I had no idea this had happened but apparently the lighting designer got up out of his seat and stormed out of the room because he was so upset that they had been cued early and ever since then he was always very awkward around me (laughs) So you're saying that you had no idea when this happened. So when the no. lights 
the lights went up. You just thought it was a normal yeah. performance. And- well, I didn't even, you know, I was so focused on getting off stage right. because I'm naked <laughs> that I wasn't even paying attention to what was, you know, going on behind me. And right. Everybody else knew what was happening behind me, apparently. Wow. But uh, not me. <laughs> Thank goodness you got through it. And yeah. you lived to tell the tale. I lived to tell the tale. Love it. This is perfect. Thank you, Jordan. You're welcome. Now we have Lindsay Ridgeway Barrel. Yes. And she is, in short, our development manager. Correct. Here at the Alliance Theater, specifically for board relations and special events. Excellent. There we go. I'm very excited to hear your story because it involves you being a child in a show. Yes, that's which is always fun to begin with, to start with. <laughs> always great to be eight um, and responsible for live performances. <laughs> I it's love this already. <laughs> Let's go. Yes. Ruthless, the musical, Los Angeles, the year, can't remember. I'm not going to do the math. <laughs> you blocked um, it. But I was eight, so that that is that is clear. Um, Yes, so that show had been on stage in New York, off Broadway, came to Los Angeles. We were the original cast there. Um, Obviously, super hyped at the time. Mm -hmm. Like everybody, everybody was waiting to see it. We had Betty White show up. We had Carol Burnett show up. We had all these people show up. So of course, that makes it worse when some things go like. Not how they're supposed to. Right. Clearly. You're like, great. We have we have stars in the audience and this happened. Right. Um, and these are things that I like, you know, I still remember. They're still kind of seared into my brain because I think moments like those prepare you for later when you have to be on the spot when you have to know what to do in a situation that you're not prepared for. And I think live theater is one of the better ways to prepare you for those things across the board. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so this first one specifically costume related in this show, you have layers. So I have like my main, you know, dumpy looking coat. And then there's a a very jazzy, flashy Bob Mackie designed costume underneath there. Beautiful. Which like, you know, is going to be awesome when it's unveiled to everyone who's not ready for it. And it's all pinned and, and snapped and put in place. And these are things people do this for me. I don't have to do it myself. I'm eight. I'm not going to snap this, obviously. <laughs> so people have done this. I trust these costuming individuals to put these things in the right spot. And, you know, entering dramatically through a doorway. And I just hear the sound of like that metal costume hanger just on the stage. Just like, you know. <gasps> no, that is a it terrible sound. Trailing behind you. And I'm not talking like a nice hanger. I'm talking those ones like the dry cleaners give you that are garbage. Right. Probably have cardboard attached to them in some way. Right. And all I know is I'm walking and it's silent and it's supposed to be this very serious entry. And I hear this horrible noise that doesn't make sense. And so, you know, I stop and the sound obviously stops and I just look behind me, see this thing on the floor. I see where it's caught on the bottom, unfortunately, of the costume that will be revealed later so people can see the back half of it, which isn't bad. Right. Um, And then I I just pick it up off, uh, you know, rip it from where it is and just like toss it, just toss it to the side stage. You know, you don't really know what to do in that situation. You can't really like ask anyone a question or stop and be like, did you put this here? Or, right. <laughs> like, right. Or one moment, please. 
how long how long was the the sound going on like i can imagine it went on for like halfway of my trek across the stage right um which will probably feel like forever too in the moment it could have literally only been like 15 seconds Mm -hmm. but also i think it's all the other elements that come in because Mm -hmm. the audience is quiet they're waiting for something to happen the stage is quiet because we're waiting for the next dialogue to start and so there's nothing else to really you know pad that situation all i do remember was being sad that the bottom half of the other costume was down because that obviously is the best part of this scene is like ripping off this coat and then you got this glitter and -hmm. then people just already saw the glitter and i'm like oh it's gonna be ruined (laughs) and then you think it's your fault you know like you deal with that and probably follows you throughout your life yeah sad I just took it down a notch that that true horror story right there it really is I mean especially (laughs) as an eight-year-old like that is the biggest deal in the entire world totally right and then when it's probably all that people can talk about when you go backstage when you're done like wow what happened with that constant malfunction and you're just like I don't know it's not my fault man like someone else snapped these in place not me thanks a lot but then you know you can't really verbalize that. And yeah. plus you're just tired when it's done. You're yeah. Not, I would go home, have some ice cream and go to bed. Yeah, exactly. You just do what <laughs> Maybe you Maybe I to just do. got more ice cream that day. Yeah. Because <laughs> you already had some before. <laughs> to take, wh- take it and run with it and make it a part of the character um, is probably what I should have done. But <laughs> again, <laughs> sometimes, you know, that that part of the brain is developed, especially like, you know your eight. <laughs> yeah. Like I just I got to get out there. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John Carr, tell us about the worst improv show you have ever been a part of. <laughs> yes. So this um, this happened many, many years ago at Dad's Garage Theater here in Atlanta, and um, at the time, me and a, a bunch of other folks, we were the young improvisers at Dad. So we were fresh out of level four, and we were the junior varsity team and ready to show our stuff. <laughs> and we got our little time slot to do our thing, and um, we were all super excited. We've been doing shows for there for a while, and they were all bad shows. Like, they were they were not good <laughs> shows at all. But the terrible work we were doing came to a head one night. We were doing a show... And at some point, um, someone decided to be Genghis Khan. That's and okay. so up to that point, a couple of scenes we've done were not very good. This scene was not very good. Someone decided to be Genghis Khan. It got worse. And again, this is this is the story of young improvisers panicking, uh, which will be the theme for these. Um, and so, again, when we panic, we. Sh- uh, turn to shock value versus mm. fun value. Um, right. Things and just go off the rails. They go off the rails, at which point uh, one of our guys jumped into the scene as a French prostitute and for not a good reason, no good reason at all. He just thought it would be shocking and are funny and then proceeds to have a bunch of just offensive, off color jokes. Um, and finally, at the end, um, at a certain well, at the end, we knew it was the end because uh, some of the audience was just had like had enough and just kind of was like no, and just started going boo, and it like gave everybody else permission in the audience to be like yeah, boo, and just boos throughout the entire audience, and so we're like all right, that's a good place to stop the scene. So we end the scene, but we're still halfway through our show. We yeah. still have a show to do. So you already had the chorus of boos before right. the show ended. Right, exactly. So wow. we're we're mid show with the booing start starting so we already know 
all right, now we we knew we weren't doing a good show. Now we know for sure the audience does not like us on like probably personal levels. And so we're like, we have to, we have to win it back. But again, the problem is we're very young improvisers. And so we try again and immediately it's clear that we're doing a terrible job. Uh, panic sets in. And so if the French prostitute idea was, uh, our first level of panic, we had now reached this new level of panic and this new level of panic for whatever reason, I don't know. And I see this all the time now that I've been doing improv for like, you know, 18 years now, I've seen a lot of young improvisers and it is whatever, for whatever reason, the go-to thing, someone comes on stage and decides to be Hitler. Now there is, <laughs> there are very few scenarios at which even the best improviser comes out of that scene where someone's running around as Hitler looking good. So now we're right. young improvisers. We're doing a terrible job. We're at the nth degree of panic level. Someone has run on as Hitler. It is not going well. It, and then they are running around, again, offensive, off-color jokes, wildly inappropriate mm -hmm. on every level, finally makes their final terrible joke. And again, just and this time, there's no like someone's one person gave permission, but like, no, as a group, they're like, boom, we decided we, we hate we you. We hate you. Yeah. And I still distinctly remember Eve, one of our um, female improvisers in the show. And she's like, I'm done. She doesn't bow. She doesn't say goodnight. She just walks off stage, walks into the lobby, walks outside, gets in her car and drives away. She is done. She's she done. realized that this is not going this anywhere. This is not going well. And yeah. we are, and we sit there and we are booze as we're closing the show. Everyone hates us. But the the nice thing about this story is uh, currently at Dad's, if you walk into the theater, there's this little timeline where we have all the greatest moments in Dad's garage histories, mm -hmm. like big plays we've done, the celebrities we've had come out and be a part of it. Um, and right smack dab in the middle is a little plaque, and it just commemorates the worst scene in Dad's garage history. And that so was that, that moment, that, that mom show, that show was that moment. And I think the great and like the the positive that came out of it was one we can any new improviser that comes by and is um, learning or nervous, we can always say no matter how bad you do, it won't be as bad as that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because most of the people that were in the scene um, and in that show are part of leadership at Dad's now. They stuck mm -hmm. with improv. They've gotten much better. At so improv. they didn't quit they didn't after quit. the no, terrible they weren't, show. No, they weren't done. Even Eve is like, she went to Chicago and she's working with like big feeders out there. And so like everyone, everyone came, uh, most people came out of there like feeling good and being, being better as a result of that. Right. Yeah. Did the theater do anything for them? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess with improv, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a good show. I mean, it's a new show every time and that's part of, part of the excitement, but also uh, really nervous moments that this could be good or bad. Absolutely. And uh, cause that's, that's, that's the risk that you take when yeah. you do improv. Cause it's like on one hand, obviously as a theater, you want to say we're, we apologize. We promise that will never happen again. Right. But the thing is it might happen. It again. might happen <laughs> it might and it probably will. There's a good chance that somebody will be dumb and do something very similar. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So, the, but I, I think that's the nice thing is like people kind of knew you're coming in, you're taking a risk and, 
these folks are just the lucky ones that got to experience the bottom of the barrel. I'm so glad it didn't turn you all off to improv and that you left the industry (laughs) and, and just decided this is not for me because things like that happen and you just go with it. I love that you've immortalized it. And I think uh, the other positive out of that is uh, one of the reasons that I'm not going to be part of the podcast anymore. <laughs> this is a really fun segue, it John Carr. It is a fun segue because I, I, I started you know, doing terrible improv years and years ago <laughs> and commemorating that. And I'm stepping away from the podcast and the Alliance Theater because I'm going to be stepping in as the interim artistic director of Dance yes, Garage. Yes, it's true. We are all so heartbroken, but also also more excited for John and you're going to lead the dad's garage, the theater into the future. Exactly. And we love dads and we've worked with dads on many occasions and um, you're the perfect person to, to fill in. You, you're such a, a resource and just a great champion of Atlanta theater in general, especially dads. And I'm going to be sad. You're not going to be here, (laughs) but it's going to be great. And I can't wait to see the things that you do at dad. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'm very excited and I'm very excited to have been a part of this podcast and hopefully uh, you'll take it on to bigger and greater things. I hope so. Thank you for helping us jumpstart it. And maybe we can have you on again in a different capacity. Yeah. Thank you. John. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to the Alliance Theater Podcast. For updates and new episodes, visit us at alliancetheater.org slash podcast. Have a question, comment, or an idea for a future episode? Email us at podcast at alliancetheater.org.